podcast is about finding your self-worth, your identity, and allowing that to face out into the world. You know, your self-worth exists despite the fact of your gender, of your race, of anything, like just because you exist. And so I'm so excited to have Precious Brady Davis here on this podcast to really emphasize that point, especially because she has just produced a fantastic memoir, I Have Always Been Me. So thank you so much. And I know that you are quite busy these days educating the public on multiple topics, LGBTQ, and you have a book out and you've recently been married and now you're a mom of a precious, I'm saying that on purpose, (laughs) new baby girl, congratulations. Thank you so much, Bettina. Thank you for having me. It's a joy to be here this afternoon. So I'm a mom also, and I know it's one of those exhausting jobs, but it's the most rewarding for those that choose to be moms, right? Absolutely. And I phrased that statement on purpose for those that want to be moms, because you published this memoir, you poured your experience out, um, and you described abandonment um, from some significant people in your life, your mother, your grandmother, Um, and even males uh, that were role models. So what does being a mom mean and represent to you now at this phase of your life? Being a a mom today has been so restorative. I could have never known when I started writing this book that I would become a mother. It's been so healing for me to actualize the love that I never received as a child. And I think it changes the ways in which I parent my daughter, Zane. I will forever, I will parent her in and through unconditional love. I love how you said it was restorative. So that being a mom, um, you have an opportunity to pour love, attention, affection into another person in ways that you did not receive for yourself. And it sounds like that's been helping you as well. It has, it's been soul affirming and, and, and soul lifting, but it also, it's made me understand so much of what my biological mother was, was going through. Mm -hmm. I think unless you're a parent, it's hard to understand the, the ways in which you you juggle yourself and you know you have to have a a strong support system you know to to support the operation of, of parenthood and you constantly have to be checking in on your own mental health to make sure that you're in a good place because when you're taking care of someone when you're constantly pouring out pouring out pouring out I think you have to find a, a, a space for you at the end of the day and to take care of yourself. So I think it also, it it created some healing in that way of that. I understand what it is to be a parent. Mm -hmm. And I like how you pointed out that you're pouring out because we have to refill our own cup. Exactly. And that there should be no guilt about that either. I love that. So in your book, you also pointed out two major themes. Um, one that you look up to an authority figure in your life in two instances that I remember, and you literally said the word no. Um, but you you stood up for yourself and you were young. 
you stood up for yourself. You gave, you had this courage. You had this ability to say such a powerful word to an authority figure or an adult. Where do you think that strength within you came from? My entire life, I have had a natural resilience, a, a natural optimism about myself. I remember growing up, there always being a pushing back on authority, you know, especially at the, the hand of the abuse that I faced, yeah. just staring in the face of, of, of being told by an adult that children are to be seen and, and not heard. And I said, no, I deserve a voice. I deserve to be seen. I deserve to be treated with, with dignity. And, and I still today, I push back against systems and tell systems and institutions, no, we need to fix this. This is not equitable. And that's why the book is called I Have Always Been Me, because this through line uh, of equity and, and wielding my voice is something that I've done my entire life. And what I loved about, I keep saying the word love because I really just love the book. And I love, um, you. you know, there's a lot of strength that you have to find in someone's like your story yourself, the strength you have to pull out. And some have a natural resistance and some have to kind of learn that, you know, coming through these different circumstances. And there was a pivotal point where you were talking about people that kind of you were drawn to. And I'm, I'm actually Lutheran. I'm, I'm born in a town about an hour from where Martin Luther posted those 95, 96 pieces to that church door. Um, And so there's a, a very big feel, you know, that was a huge system. The Catholic church is a huge system and you said you felt connected to him. You felt connected to John Calvin because they were willing to risk everything and their life to change a long-term belief system. How do you, who do you look up to now? Or who do you feel is still like a, a person for you to look up to? I think now I am, I'm inspired by great people who chose to, to change history, you know, and the, the reason that I talk about Martin Luther and, and John Calvin in, in the book is because growing up in the church, I felt that I was taught one way of, of being, one way of, of, of being Christian. And I love that those people, that they reformed Christianity in, in various ways. And for me, I like to tend to be on the side of, of justice. Mm-hmm. you know, of people who are groundbreaking. And I'm inspired, you know, by folks who are, are triumphant and who have travailed life's setbacks and, and, and struggles. And, you know, folks like, you know, President Obama, you know, folks like Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, you know, people who have defied the, the, the odds and have stared history in the face and have used their experience to create change. Yes. Yes. And so you describe the church a lot in your upbringing, um, how on one hand, there were some strict Pentecostal rules. And on the other hand, you were still finding solace, like at Victory Church. Uh, you described the day you accepted Christ as your savior. It, it almost seems like there was a dichotomy of how 
um, you were against religion, but for God, or how did you feel that, how did you feel with that? It just seemed like God and religion was both the savior and the suppressor at the same time. Absolutely. I felt like church for me was a, a refuge, but one of the things that I was able to separate was the difference between people and, and God, you know, it was people who were inflicting upon me those kind of oppressive systemic practices. But for me, it was the spirit Mm -hmm. that I was drawn to. I, my whole life have known that I have had a testimony as Mm -hmm. they say in the church. But for me, it was outside of the, the bigoted teaching. For me, it was one of the first places that I found community and that I truly felt valued, you know, walking into to greeters, hugging me, you know, it was one of the first places that I actively remember taking interest in my mental health. Yeah. For me, spirituality was tied to my mental health. You know, the trauma that I was experiencing, I was releasing in, in, in prayer and supplication and, and, and worship um, of leaving it at the altar as they say, that was, that was, that was my therapy. And Precious, did you feel that that continued to be like your type of therapy or did you seek out other methods of therapy as you became an adult? I, I did. I sought out other methods uh, of therapy because it no longer was a, a refuge or a safe place, you know, mm-hmm. after, you know, being told, you know, that, struggling with homosexuality after being told that, you know, that I had a last chance that I change or, or or that I go, I chose to go. And I found places where I could be me and that fed my spirit, such as theater. Theater was such an affirmation, affirmational place for me to be amongst folks who look like me, folks who accepted me, mm-hmm. folks who affirmed and, and celebrated and, and welcomed my, my presence and started to really begin the, the journey of receiving unconditional love in my life. Yes. You've mentioned that word. I watched some of your other videos and, and, and interviews. You use that word affirmation and affirm a lot. It, would you say that's one of your main words like for your life? Yes, affirm, affirm, affirm. <laughs> because I, I, and I say affirm because I was not affirmed. Yes. Growing up, I, I felt like I was policed as a, a child, and I was told a lot of what not to do. I did not receive a lot of, of affirmation, and I think that the safe spaces in my life where I found healing where I've thrived are places in which I have been affirmed. Yes. And so for me, it is a mantra of my life. I affirm others. I affirm myself. And so affirmation is something that is a part of my daily spirituality. Now I am routinely affirming some part of, of myself. And I think that's what my, my, my spirituality ha- has morphed into it. It's morphed into to the the spirit of affirmation. Wonderful. 
So it's a constant process, right? It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as I was going through your book, you know, I, I thought, wow, Precious has really addressed a multiple amount of battles, you know, foster care, love from people that, I mean, we are, we really should be loved by our, our mothers, right? That's kind of the, yeah. the fruit. That's how we came in and to be loved or not respect or not loved and not respected from the one human being um, is, is really deeply painful. You have that. So people can connect with you on that. I felt connected because I'm also biracial and I've lived in other countries. And I, I even lived an hour from Jasper, Texas, because you mentioned that in your book, I was living yes. in Louisiana oh. when that happened. And that was my, I'm a, I'm a military kid. It was the first time in the civilian world where I was told that I am not the right color, right? And I, I knew that being, it was a practically a sin to not be a certain, you know, to not be Caucasian. Uh, and what's interesting is that you had all of this go on, you know, and, and we're not that old. <laughs> this is not 1850. We were, you know, you're talking about things. I'm like, oh, I remember that from my childhood. Where do you feel your story is now regarding, um, you know, being transgender, being biracial? How do you feel those experiences have warped you into precious Brady Davis today? My experiences today have expanded my worldview. You know, the summation of my life is so diverse and it has enriched my work. And I think it's why I do diversity work. It's why I do communications work because I understand, you know, how to speak to a myriad of folks because that is my my lived experience. And I wouldn't change it for a thing. And that that's why I wrote this book. I was sitting down and I was like, whoa, I have all, I have all of these intersectional experiences. You know, <laughs> I am biracial. I was, you know, as you said, you know, I, I was a, a foster kid. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. You know, I'm a, a trans woman of color. I'm short. I'm left-handed. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, my whole life have known what it is to be the other. Uh, and I, I really wanted to share that experience so that folks can become more accepting of people who are different. Mm-hmm. Yes, because we have more in common than we have separate, right? If that's, we would focus on that. That's that's my life's work of we can we can connect across lines of, of difference. And that and that is that is spiritual. Yes. to me. And it's really about folks understanding that coming back to our, our humanity. And I think folks would be in a better place if that was at the root of our lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, you know, you had mentioned President Obama, you you got to meet him, you were at the White House, um, having dinner there, you had a Miley Cyrus photo shoot. And, and as I'm reading about this part, I couldn't help but think of you, Precious, spending that one Christmas you describe earlier in the book in a different house where you didn't get to be the little Santa or the little elf and you were unsure of what your next night would be and you couldn't even sleep. What would you now as an adult say to Precious back then? Whew. Just hearing it like that, I just want to break break that down really quick. So the, the first part of that, that's why I, I mentioned you know, meeting President Obama and, and working with, with Miley Cyrus because 
that was nothing that I ever saw for my life. Foster kids don't get to do that. You know, most foster, you know, there is a school to prison pipeline, you know, Mm -hmm. that happens for, for foster kids. And I, those are moments of my life that I am extremely proud of. And, um, that's why, why, why they are in, in the book, but looking at, at little precious and, and going back to, to that Christmas, which is another reason I, I wrote this book because that event changed the course of my life forever and situations out of my control happened and caused trauma to reverberate for for many years to come and it's one of the reasons I wrote the book because I wanted to break the cycle yes on that and I think of if I were talking to Little Precious specifically in that event, I would say, none of this is your fault. You are going to be okay. People can't give you what they don't have. I think I was always expecting for my parents to, my grandparents in particular, you know, to be perfect and to, to be the savior parents just because they knew everything, you know, that I had went through. And that wasn't going, going to happen. And I felt for many years that a, a, a lot of that, I felt that like it, it was my fault and it was not my fault. Mm-hmm. And also I would go back and I would tell little precious that what you're feeling in this moment is okay. It's okay to, it's okay to feel sad. Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel the hurt in this situation and none of this has anything to do with you. Uh, and you're going to be okay. Um, that situation changed the course of my life forever. And writing about it, I think, helped me heal. Helped you heal. Yes. So this is our last question because I know we're out of time. And I, I did hear this sermon once from Stephen Furtick, Elevation Church. He says it so much more eloquently than I'm going to. But he says, sometimes things happen in our life that have nothing to do with us. Maybe, just maybe we are going through something so that we can package it up in experience, knowledge, and wisdom to give it to someone else someday who needs it. And then we will be there to offer it. What do you feel are three main points, just boom, 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 or three main words that you feel that you can now give? Inspiration. Mm-hmm. Optimism and dignity. Those are beautiful words. I have beautiful words. And I really just appreciate this time. It's been such an honor to talk to you, Precious. And you are doing wonderful things. And I know you have a website, you have every everything that's about you and how to connect with you is available. And I'll put that on the podcast. Thank you so much again for your time today. Bettina, it was a joy talking with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye. Inspiration, optimism, and dignity. You know, everyone's story has something in it that is inspiring to someone else because we don't know what someone else has gone through, even if we've gone through something similar. Every single one of us goes through that pattern on their own. And we have to acknowledge that. And we can be inspired by people who've gone through things that we deem worse or more difficult, but it helps us lift ourselves up and others around us as well. 
staying positive and staying true. And the word dignity is so essential because dignity is something we should offer to everyone. It does not matter on whether we have preferences towards a gender or another or religious beliefs of one thing versus another or whatever we want to hide behind. Basic dignity is something we should give and is afforded to every human being regardless of where they are and regardless if they even have the opportunity to listen to this podcast. But I thank you again for your time today. I really do appreciate it. And if you do like it, I absolutely request that you leave a five-star review so that it can help this platform reach more people, make an impact, be an inspiration of optimism and dignity to others. And until next Tuesday, let's keep building one another up.